we welcome you tonight. We want to study a little bit. As you know, we've been studying on discipleship. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And last week, of course, we studied about uh, the golden rule. And that was a good message. If you weren't here, I encourage you to try to get on the computer or get the CD. But tonight we want to get into an area that I believe brings the discipleship that Jesus gathered his disciples together to teach. I think it brings it to a certain point where we all have to get to and we all have to see that everything he has taught is summed up in this scripture that what it's mostly about is choices. We have to choose to do unto others as we would have them to do to us. We have to choose to help those who are more needier than ourselves. We have to choose to say, Father, thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. We have to choose to forgive our debtors. We have to choose to forgive those who trespassed against us. All, you go back, after we study this tonight, I want you to go back and read everything from chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 that we have studied. And it all bears upon the hinge of choices. And I want you to see here in verse 13. You can, this is the Living Bible. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose, who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. The highway to hell is wide. The highway to heaven is narrow. It's the straight and narrow gate. And you know, as we're going to study this tonight, a lot of people just think, oh, I made my decision. I accepted Christ in my heart. He's my Savior. But it wants to show us here that it's a life of sacrifice and crucifying ourselves, laying ourselves aside because the gate is so narrow Only a selfless person who's not centered on himself or herself will be able to get into that gate. We have to take ourselves off and humble ourselves to better go through that gate. And Jesus is bringing this to the point where he says, you're not going to just float. Listen, church, you're just not going to float through life. Listen, you can't float into holiness. You can't float... You and I cannot float into purity. The Bible talks about the pure in heart. They shall see God. We don't float into purity. It is a struggle and a sacrifice and a fight. I don't know about you. I could choose to go the easy way. And my mind has wondered many times in the 30-something years I've been saved. It'd be easy just to say, you know what, I'm just going to float with the crowd because the crowd's the easy way. You know, let's just get on that highway. You know, if there's so many people saying it's okay, let me join the crowd. And the more people that say it's okay, the less conviction I feel. The more people that say if it feels right, do it. The more I get into that type of company, the less conviction I feel, and the more I forget about what I was right. My parents taught me what the Word says. Because if there's more people doing what's wrong and they're happy, why do I need to be with the few who choose what's right? And it seems so hard. You know, it would be so easy how many times to tell somebody what we would love to tell them. To do to others what we would love to do to them. To uh, get back at somebody. To hold some forgiveness and resentment and say, you know what, I'm not going to forgive that person. But we're not going to float into the kingdom of God. It's a struggle. It's a straight and a narrow gate. And it comes down to choices. When my wife and I, back in 82, first got to Punta Gorda and we were working with the Mayans and we were in Punta Gorda there with the, the, the village... And the first time I ran into this man, he, he was the town drunk. He would get drunk on rum and stuff like that. And when they don't have rum, they drink kerosene and rubbing alcohol. And he got a hold of me and he brought me, he, he grabbed me one day and he says, he was all drunk and you could smell the rum all over him. And he would say, yeah, man, he said, don't you know I'm a famous, famous painter? You know, they take, talk like they do in Jamaica. You know, I'm a famous painter. And he was going on about how good of a painter he was. And he says, you ought to give me some money. Invite me to a drink. 
And I said, I'm not going to invite you to a drink. And all of a sudden, my heart was heavy. And we were on the uh, market right in front of that grocery store. It was a grocery store. <laughs> I wish I had a picture of it. It wasn't a grocery store. It was a few cans on a shelf. But I remember I got on my knees and I said, listen. I said, right now, you've got to accept Jesus. And everybody was walking by. And I, but I didn't care because I felt the urgency. You've got to accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior right now. I said, get on your knees. I said, I'm on my knees already. Come down here and accept Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. You have to get saved or you will die. And he pulled away from me. I said, he's calling you. And he walked away. Well, when he would get drunk, he would insult people. And the people, a lot of, he had a lot of enemies. Come to find out the next day that he had died. That night, they had got glass and they had crushed glass and put it in his rum. And when he drunk it, because they would just gargle it down, it, it, he, he, he drunk that broken glass and he bled to death during the night. But the Lord gave him his chance, but he chose his pathway that led to hell. And our life has pathways of what we choose. But let me tell you about this story about this Sunday school teacher who was teaching on Lazarus and the rich man. Let me lighten it up a little bit because I could tell you're, you're feeling the flames of fire. So let me lighten it up a little bit. Uh, this Sunday school teacher was teaching on Lazarus and the rich man. And she was talking about the rich man all of his life. He had all the pleasures. He had the nice house. He had the, all the food he wanted to eat. Everything was so great. He was just, she was just going on at first about the rich man. And then he says, and Lazarus was a beggar. Sores. The dogs felt so sorry for him. The dogs would come and lick the sores on his body. But when he died, he went into, he was carried to Abraham's bosom and there in paradise where there was no more suffering. He was healed. He was happy. But the rich man was carried into hell. And she went to all the stores. She says, okay, let me ask you, class, which one would you be? And the little boy raised his hand and said, on earth, I'd like to be the rich man. And then when I die, I'd like to be the beggar. And she says, well, you know, you can't choose to live one way and end up the right way. You've got to choose this day who you will serve. Straight in the way and narrows the gate. Now, you know, they don't preach this no more on TV. They don't preach this no more in church. They want to skip this part that you're okay just like you are. That you don't have to give nothing up to go to heaven. You know, and it's when we get saved and we accept Jesus, that's the first step. But I've had to give up a lot in my life. I've had to hurt. I've had to cry. I've had to walk through crucifixion in areas of my life and allow Jesus to crucify me and the Holy Spirit to work in areas in my heart, in my mind, in my life, just like you have. But one thing about it is, is that when Jesus turned to Peter, Peter chose to deny him. And the last time he denied him, he looked at Jesus in the face and denied him because he would rather go with the crowd and be safe than go with Jesus and be crucified. And one day I'm going to look at him in his face and you're going to look at him in his face and in his eyes. And you're going to better say like that song we sing, it is worth it all. It would be worth it all. So I want you to see here tonight that there's a royal law of living right and making right decisions. It's all choices. William Barclay said, In every action of life, man is confronted with a choice. And he can never evade the choice because he can never stand still. He must always take one way or the other. Because of that, it has always been one of the supreme functions of the great men of history that they should confront men with that single choice. As the end drew near, Moses spoke to the people, See, I have set this day life and good, death and evil. Therefore, choose life that thou and thy seed may live. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20. Joshua made the same point in Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And then Jeremiah heard the Holy Spirit say it in Jeremiah 21, 8. Unto this people shalt thou say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I have set before you the way of life and the way of of death. What got me in Deuteronomy is that not only do our choices that we make affect ourselves, it says it affects our children. And you know, that's why it's so important as we see we're entering into the last days. And I know you know that you know that we're entering into the last days. You know that this next year there's going to be a walk of faith like we've never walked before. 
But we also know that there are going to be choices to make. There's going to be bribes. There's going to be areas of compromise to better get ahead. There are going to be areas that we even see with this nation that will end up wanting to be friends with the heathen, godless, communistic nations and maybe even choose against Israel. And I pray not. But when it comes to the health and the, the, uh, the uh, reputation of a political leader, he'll think about himself and his reputation before he'll think about the Word of God. That's why we have to be praying. But in the midst of whatever we confront, it's always going to be up to us what we are going to choose. Here's some things I'll share with you. Few people make a deliberate choice between good and evil. The choice is between what we want to do and what we ought to do. Choice, not chance, determines destiny. When you need to make a choice, don't make it that in it itself. If you need to make a choice and don't make it, that in itself is a choice. The choice is simple. You can either stand up and be counted or lie down and be counted out. And that's what we're going to see about choice tonight with Paul. We can either be counted in or counted out. There comes a time when a nation, as well as an individual, must choose between tightening the belt or losing the pants. That's kind of what we see as a nation right now, as a people right now. We're going to tighten the belt and see that debt is killing this nation and killing homes and maybe not have everything we want when we want and not go get everything on credit because we have to have it, but tighten up the belt and say, this is what we have to do and this is what we need to do. It may not be what we want to do, but it's what we need to do. I never wanted to whip my children, but I needed to whip my children. I never wanted to beat my wife, but I had to beat my wife. It was a choice that I had no other choice to make. And that brings me to this. When a man decides to marry, it may be the last decision he'll ever be allowed to make. <laughs> well, I heard some amens there. No one can grow by allowing others to make their decisions. Boy, I've seen that. Pastor, what should I do? Oh, I'll, hey, you got to hear from God. And then when it comes to the point they really are asking me, and they're making a the decision, then I'll say, run, if it's not God. <laughs> Nothing great was ever done without the act of decision. It's pretty hard for the Lord to guide a man if he hasn't made up his mind which way he wants to go. Maybe one of the ways the Lord speaks to you and I. Lord, why don't you speak to me? When will you choose the straight and narrow way? Right. When will you choose my way? You get on my way, You'll hear me. You'll hear the truth. Almost everybody knows the difference between right and wrong, but some hate to make decisions. Current events are so grim that we can't decide whether to watch the 6 o'clock news and not be able to eat or the 10 o'clock news and not be able to sleep. <laughs> Choices. Psalms chapter 1. We won't look at it, but you know it talks about choosing to sit in the council of the ungodly, the seat of the scornful, whether to be around the backslider, the hypocrite, or do we want to delight in the law of the Lord? Let me tell you one thing about the straight and narrow way. The reason it gets narrower is because it's only made for one person to pass at a time. And the reason that it's the straight and narrow way is that as you grow and as you go, you find out you lose more and more friends, more and more family, and more and more acquaintances. Many people say, Pastor, before I got into this church, before I started trying to practice what we're hearing in the Word and what God wants me to do, man, I had so many friends, and now it just seems like I don't have many friends. Jesus is with you. Amen. And the closer we get to Jesus, it's amazing. The more people seems to drift away from us. Because you see, it's so easy to drift with the crowd. It's so easy to be part of the herd. It's another thing to take a stand and say, no, that, that, that's, that's not what God wants me to do. And it's amazing. The closer we get to heaven, the fewer we'll find who's really willing to make that decision to pay the price that you're willing to pay. And I know you're here tonight. You made a choice either to stay home or come tonight. 
it would have been a lot easier for all of us to stay home. It had been real easy just to stay home and eat some soup and, and watch some TV and, and, uh, and not even feel bad about it. But you made a choice to come tonight. Because I believe there's something inside of you that's saying, you know, I'm not going to let the natural things hold me back because there's something that God wants to speak to me. And He wants to remind us tonight that every day is an uphill fight. Every day you and I face choices either to give into our, uh, our old nature, the Adamic nature, or give into the Christ nature. Every day we have choices. Either we're going to love or we're not. We're going to forgive or we're not. We're going to live holy or we're not. Because I, I can tell you, even though I'm a fourth generational preacher's son, and even though some of you, like me, have been raised in church, and some of your parents have been good, godly people with their lives and with my lives, just because they live the life don't mean that my life is going to automatically always go the right way. I have a choice to make. Whether I'm going to go for Jesus or I'm going to go for myself or the world. Every day I face choices. Every day you face choices. Every time that TV's on, we face choices. Every time that computer's on, we face choices. Every time we go to town, we face choices. Every time we go to pay our bills, we face choices. Whether we'll put the electricity bill in the cable bill and put the cable bill in the electricity bill and try to put it off as it was a mistake so that we have a longer time to pay whatever bill we want to pay. We have a choice to be dishonest. We have a choice to be honest. We have a choice to complain. We have a choice to be with those who complain. We have a choice to pay attention. We have a choice to pray. We have a choice to honor God by reading His Word or delaying. Everything is a choice. And it's nobody's fault. And there's nobody else who can do any of these things for us. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I have to decide whether I'm going to read the Word, whether I'm going to make a sacrifice, get up Sunday morning, be at church on Sunday morning. Uh, everything is a choice and it's up to me whether I'm going to let the Holy Spirit take charge or I'm going to be in charge. So the more you go upon this straight and narrow way, the more you see things don't mean so much to you. And even some relationships, you know, don't seem so much to you. Because the truth is, the closer I get to God, the less I have in common with my old life and those connected to it. So it's about a choice. Listen to this poem written by a man years ago. To every man that openeth a way and ways and a way. And the high soul treads the highway. And the low soul gropes the low. And in between on the misty flats, the rest drift to and fro. But to every man that openeth a highway and a low. And every man decideth the way his soul shall go. That's something, huh? Enter by the narrow straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. But there are many who go on by it. It's something in the uh, message translation. It says, don't look for shortcuts to God. That's been the problem with the body. Can I grow without having to sacrifice so much? Do I really have to pray an hour to grow? Do I really have to go so much to church? Do I really have to be part of the worship? Do I really have to do this, do that? Do I really have to tithe? Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. There's the church. Christianity is for my spare time. The Word will be for my spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. This is what Jesus was teaching His disciples. Amen? The straight and narrow way. To let Christ choose. Of course, you know the straight and narrow starts Matthew 4.17. You don't have to look it up in John 3.3. 3. It starts off with salvation. You've got to get saved. You, that's only the first start. But then you have to continually follow the Lord and not allow yourself, even after we get saved. Listen, Billy Graham, I believe, says that all the people out of his crusades, only 18% are still serving the Lord a year later. 
because I come up to the front. I take the preacher by the hand. I receive Jesus into my heart as Lord and Savior. But if I don't start getting into the Word and start sacrificing and start getting close to God, I just drift back to my old life. If I don't stay in the Word of God, my tongue starts drifting back to the way it used to speak. My eyes start drifting back to the way it used to look. My heart starts desiring things it used to desire. Because I cannot drift into holiness. I cannot drift into purity. It's a matter of getting on my face. It's a matter of repenting and being open before God and saying, God, before thee and thee only have I sinned. You know this wickedness and you know this wrong that I've done in my heart. And Lord, I come before you and I I truly repent. And I'm sorry for the things I've done, the things I have thought about, the things that I have put my hand to. I repent and I'm sorry for that. But Father, I, I promise you this day, that with all my heart, I love you and I desire to serve you. And I thank you that you will not give up on me. And you will not abandon me in this work. But I'll give you the pieces for you to put back together again. Because I am going to serve you for the rest of my life. I may look like a disaster now. But I'm not going to look like a disaster when I finish this race. Because I'm determined. I'm going to flow upstream. I'm going to go for it. Amen. And you too. Amen. Amen. People are doing what comes naturally. And what comes natural, this, this is what the scripture says, what comes natural to a person leads to destruction. What comes natural, what's habits, what comes natural to a person. Well, you know, that's just the Indian blood in me. Well, it'll naturally bring you to Indian hell. Well, that's just the Cajun blood in me. Well, it'll just bring you to the Cajun part, but it'll all bring you to hell. Well, that's just natural for me to react like that. Little kid comes home from school, says a cuss word. Oh, that's just natural. They picked that at school. Baby, don't say that. And if that's all you do, tomorrow he'll be saying three words. They don't naturally get cussing out of them. You get a bar of soap or you get a belt and you get those words out of them. Amen. You just don't drift into perfection. I don't know where we got this idea that, that we could just lay down on a, a floaty bed in the pool and the waves would just take us and life is just so great. I don't know where we got that idea. I feel like I'm under the pool 20 feet deep and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get breath the best way I can. And if I'm on a bed, it's usually a bed of nails. We cannot feel right at home with the company of the world even though there's more of them than us. If there are so many who do it, it must be okay. And how about all those who we think the mind starts where they get away with it? They've gotten away with that. Have you noticed in the last two years the acceleration of judgment and that which is done in darkness have come to light? Have you noticed the acceleration of not only in the church but in the political realm and in the business realm? How many people are getting caught? Why? You don't get away with it. Forever. The wide way seems like, well, they're getting away with it, but they're falling off by the sides into the pit. Mm -hmm. What we see today is false security. Little or no guilt. If it's popular, don't worry about what's popular usually leads to punishment. 7, 14, 13 once again says, narrows the gate which leads to life, and there are few that find it. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. Now, my, my, my brother uh, could agree with this, and, 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 and we're going to use some examples here just to make it uh, a little easy. When you're working, say, putting a nuclear bomb together, one little bit of too much of the wrong chemical might make a mess. Huh? Well, it's the same way in life. A little bit won't hurt. Just a little bit of the wrong thing can blow up a city. Just a little bit of water in the gas can stop an engine. I don't care it's an F-150. I don't care what it is. I don't care what year it is. A little water in the tank will stop the engine. And so we see this many times. How about sports? How many of you watch? We watch the football games. And, and right now, they can't get away with anything. Uh, who did I watch the other day? What was the last game I watched? The Saints? The Saints. Y'all watched the Saints the other day? 
Well, what they thought was an interception when they went back and they looked at the replay a few times, it had hit the ground and then in his hands. But they had to look at the replay. They're not able to get away with what they got away with 20 years ago. Accountability and technology has gotten such so strong that accountability is even stronger. And they can't cheat and get away with things. They got so many computerized things and all that now that football today is nothing like when I was a kid because everything can be looked back again and say, wait a minute, no, 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 you broke the law here. Straight is the way and narrows the gate. Nope, five-yard penalty. You don't have the ball. Oh, yeah, I caught it. You're a liar, too. Because we went back and saw it on the replay. You're lying. The ball's theirs. Get back on your side. Wide is the gate. And large is the way that leads to destruction. Liberal thinking. Loose living. What's morals? What's our spiritual obligations? So what? What can I lose? I'll do as I please. It's all called blindness. And the blind follow the blind. The blind follow the blind. And it all leads to destruction. Where's all the people going? Look at the crowd. The blind following the blind. People, some people just follow whatever. Wherever the crowd is. Just follow whatever. Now everybody's all upset. Jesus, did y'all know Jesus is coming back in 2012? Jesus don't know that, but there's some prophets who know that. <laughs> he says, I don't know the day or hour I'm coming back. But the prophets say, the Lord says 2012. You, remember, you know what? I remember in 1981 he was supposed to come back. And I remember a lot of times he was supposed to come back. And unless we were all sinners and missed it, he came back and we didn't know it. The blind follow the blind. Psalms 39 verse 4. It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. Verse 5. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Hmm. You know what men today call success? What men today call acceptance, do you know they get there and it's nothing but emptiness? Do you, do you hear Brother Craig was talking about it a while ago? Do you hear how many people have these million of dollars bonuses? 18 million and 50 million and all that. They got all these millions of dollars. And you know what? They're empty. Seven houses, ten houses, six vacations, 20 cars. 16 cars. We've seen, went to somebody's house years ago. How many cars? 12, 16 car garage, air conditioned garage. Anyway, bunch of cars, garage. They're empty. You don't float into happiness. You just don't go the way the world and just think everything's okay. Why are all these people always goofing up in the news? Because they're empty and they have no boundaries to follow what the Lord wants us to do. Tell you, go back singing, I'd rather a log cabin in the corner of glory land. Of course, you ain't going to have no log cabins in glory, so forget it. But David, I mean Solomon prayed, Lord, don't give me too much that I forget about you. And don't give me too little that I am tempted to steal. Lord, I just want to stay in the right place. Disappointments, frustrations, damnation is what the choices make. Enter into the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by and by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few, there are few, there are few who find it. Few who find it. Superficial decisions. Superficial lifestyle. Putting off choices. How many know you get into the kingdom by pressure? Look at Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. 
Listen to this. Luke 13, verse 23. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able Whence once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Strive. Write down this. The word strive means to agonize. Oh, now look. If I'm going to be a member of this church, I don't want to have to suffer. If, if I want to be a Christian, I don't want to have to suffer. Agonize? I rebuke that word in the name of Jesus. <laughs> agonize? I don't want to agonize. My past was agony. You think I want agony in the future? He says, few are going to enter in. I've experienced agony in my life. I know you have too. Not because of circumstances, but because of the old Russell that's still alive. Old pulls that want to pull me away. It means, the word there means, uh, strive means to agonize. It means to press in or fight. The narrow way demands a commitment and a passion, a passion to find, a passion to find, a passion to find. You, you hear me say time and time again, and it's one thing I've said for living 18 years on the field, and I've said to pastors' meetings and churches, and I preach it all the time. We are, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you real soon in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to preach this real soon. Listen to me. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, 21, 22, 23 says, We are without excuse. How do I overcome this? You get on the web and it'll give you 15 different ways how to overcome in the natural and in the spiritual. What do I do about this? I need somebody to pray with me. There is 1-800 number prayer chains, 24-hour day to get prayer. We got 24-hour prayer chains all over the world that all we have to do is call and somebody's going to pick up and call and pray with us. There's books, there's materials, there's tapes, there's DVDs, there's CDs. We, have, we can have libraries that can fill this room and we're still tried and tormented. Why? Because it's doing what the books are saying to do and not just reading them and hoping them. If I read this, maybe the cake could just come together. Let me get a Mexican... T- uh, ch- uh, I'm going to get a Mexican uh, cookbook out and the tacos will be on the table. Pop out, Taco! Well, you may as well go to Taco Bell, honey, because they're not going to pop out just because you open the book. You've got to get the, the things and the things and the things and the things, the tomatoes and the meat and the cheese and the hard-shell tacos to make tacos. Taco Bells. Whatever. Anyway, how many of you know it just doesn't happen automatically? Purity doesn't happen automatically. Holiness doesn't happen automatically. We just don't arrive there one day and, and all of a sudden, whoo! I'm holy. No. It's agony. It's pressure. And it's passion to find out how to get into that area of victory. If we want it easy, just stay on the wide and narrow. But it will lead to destruction. Which crowd am I going to agree with? Which crowd in these last days am I going to agree with? Keep getting reports. I quit word of grace. Because that pastor talked against Obama. He's a racist. It wasn't the color. It was the murdering of innocent blood. It's on tape and it's clear. But I'm not interested in running in the crowd. I'm not interested even about who's going to be my friends or not going to be my friend, even among fellow ministers here in the city. I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. And it's not about the color of the skin. It was about the morals of the most liberal senator that there is. Which, who are we going to follow? The crowd? Who are we going to plead? What is the full desire of my heart? Narrow means something has to be left outside the gate. Myself, my addiction, my old man. Look with me in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 24. 
Here's Jesus speaking. How many know we've been reading the words of Jesus? It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, we can sing that song, I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, You want to be my follower? Yes, Lord! You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Hmm. Deny himself. That's the only way to get into the straight and narrow is denying ourselves. The crucified self. Worldlessness. Cornality left behind. Look at Romans chapter 8. I'm almost through. Romans chapter 8. Followers of Christ that stay till the end. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to this. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. This is the New Testament. People say, that's when you preach hard like that, you're preaching liberal. No, 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 no. This is I'm preaching Jesus. Listen to what it says. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Now, is there a mistake here? Was Jesus on call syrup when he said this? He says, if you are not, if you do not belong to him at all, if you're not, if you're not living in the spirit, it says in verse 10, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same living Spirit within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you do not have no obligation. Say, I'm not obligated. I am not obligated. To do what my sinful nature urges me to do. But if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put it to death, the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I think that's pretty clear, amen? Few who find it. The loss of friends. The loss of those who are with us. Look with me in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. You know, if I really do what you say to do, that means I can't have my buddies over to watch boxing and have beer and have them all over and we cuss and ramp and range and, and, and throw the beer cans across the room while we're watching kickboxing, while we're watching the ball game. That means all my buddies, I can't have them over anymore. That means i got to put on casting crowns and listen to I can only imagine instead of <laughs> and drink Coca-Cola that they're getting ready to tax some more. Instead of having my old buddies over and have a good old time. It means I can't go to the lodge because I already know what they got planned and what they're going to do. I already know what's going to be in those ice chests. I already know what's going to be in the conversation. So do I want to go submit to that? Or do I want to say no flesh? Find some Christian brothers to go hunting with. But you've got to give up the old. Some people, man, you are asking me to do a lot. You choose. You choose. You choose. And this is not Russell Cobb's word. This is the words of Jesus Christ. Well, man, you are asking me to, I hear people, you are asking me to give up a lot. No, no, no. Your Savior who died on the cross, who took the nails in his hands and his feet, who took the crowns upon his brow and had his back whipped open. He is asking you, do you love me? Do you love Calvary more than the cowboys? Do you love me? How much do you love me? I'll give you everything but that. James chapter 4, verse 4. Look at this. You adulterers. Do you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. 
If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You make yourself an enemy of God by your choices. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit of God is placed within us, is filled with envy? But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. Lord, give me grace. Give me grace. Message translation, you know what it says? You're cheating with God and you're flirting with the world. But it says, you adulterers, you're cheating on God and you're flirting with the world. I know what people say. Wait a minute, Brother Russell. Jesus was friends with the tax collectors. He was friends with the adulterers. He was friends with the drunkards. Yes, he was. And you know what? They followed him, but then they all forsook him. He was friends with them and he came to seek and save those who were lost. But you know what? Not all followed him. And one time he talked about his blood and he talked about his body and said he turned and left him. He says, do you follow me for the food? We had a good crowd Sunday night. We had food. (laughs) Do you follow me for the food? Do you follow me for the programs? Do you follow me for what I can give you? Do you follow me just because you're scared of hell? Why do you follow me? Is it about love? Do you follow me just because you love me? He says, if you're a friend with the world, the wide gate, the wide way that leads to destruction, you make yourself, you choose and make yourself an enemy with God. You decide to watch that sex in the city stuff. You choose yourself to make yourself an enemy with God. I'm not just talking about big pornography. I'm talking about these programs that exalt adultery, homosexuality, loose living, watching the world, filling your mind with that junk. If you choose to be friends with the world, you're making yourself an enemy with God. Narrows the gate which leads... You can read later on Philippians 3, 13, 14. talks about how he took them out of Egypt and they soon forgot all that he had did for them. One thing is to desire. Another thing is to achieve. Luke 9, 51 says that Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined with grace and anointing. You say, what can I do, Brother Russell? Pray for grace, as we read here in James. Grace to withstand the desires. Grace to withstand the temptation every day. I mean, our church is even named Grace. That ought to be a real easy thing to remember to pray for. Lord, I pray for grace. Give me grace to resist the temptation. Give me grace to resist. Resist doing. Give me grace to resist falling once again into that. I need the grace and I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit that has brought me up into a new life, who's given me a new life. I need the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to resist this trial and this temptation that I'm going through. You know, in this scripture here about that, he never does say, Let me hear your excuses first. Well, you know, Lord, I fell in with that crowd because, well, well, you know, Lord, I was depressed. I was feeling lonely. I was feeling let down. And here they were. They were all opening their arms to me and say, come on, come on, and let's do this and let's do that. And Lord, Lord, you know, you just didn't save me from that. You didn't send nobody at that moment to call me and say, you better not do it. You didn't send nobody to my house. You didn't get in front of my car and block my car from going to the crack house. You didn't send nobody to do that. You didn't send nobody to send me and stop me from going to the bar because I was lonely. And, I, and I, Lord, I've been praying for you for two years to give me a husband. <laughs> and so since you didn't give me a husband, I'm going to the bar and look for, I'm going to look for a husband. And, Lord, you're going to give me a good Christian man playing pool. Did y'all hear Paula Dean the other day? Paula Dean was married 27 years and her husband left her for someone smaller and tighter, she said. And she prayed three years, Lord, give... He, she didn't pray for her husband. She just said, Lord, give me a, a good neighbor. But she, you know, she was wanting to get married again, but she said, Lord, just give me a good neighbor. This is Paula Dean, you know, the cooking lady from wherever she's from. Anyway. So anyway, I thought it was interesting. I was listening to get, you know, always listening for new stories because I can't tell your stories because you get mad at me. So listen to people who don't come to church here. 
And Paula Dean says she was praying one day and her two big dogs got out of the house. And she ran. Here she goes. She runs after her dogs trying to get her dogs. And they run around the wall. She had moved to a new neighborhood. Run around the wall. She goes to get her dogs. And here's this big old guy catching her dogs who ends up being her future husband. She prayed for three years for God to give her a neighbor. And God gave her a neighbor who ended up giving her 12 boxes, which Eric Schmock says, I love you. Will you marry me? That's 12 boxes. I don't know, but whatever it came out to. Anyway, she got her engagement ring. She got married, but she prayed, Lord, give me the right neighbor. She didn't go to the bar. She didn't compromise. She prayed. Now, is she a good Christian? I don't know. I hope so. But she did give the glory to God that God brought the husband into her life. It's easy to go in with the crowd. Let's just get on match.com. Yeah, matches with gasoline blow up. We need to write that. That's a good one. That is a good one. Match.com. Your single ministry, write that down. Matches and gasoline. That's good, Bob. Well, you're engaged. I shouldn't be telling you. Who's, I got to find somebody. Match.com, Benny. Watch it, buddy. Don't play with matches. I got to finish this. I'm, I'm so late. Acts 20:24. but my life is worth, this is what Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is worthless to me. I can gain and do all that I want to do, but it's worthless unless I finish what God has called me to do. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll finish with this one. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. As for me, my life has already poured, my life has already been poured out as an offering to the Lord. Listen, you hear this disciple? This is where you tonight, this is where we all are getting. This is the life of the Spirit. Paul says, everything to do with my desire and my past has already been dealt with. My life has already been poured out as an offering. He's not dead yet. He said, I settled it a long time ago. My life is to live for the glory of Christ. It's settled. All those things I once had, all those things I once knew, all those people I once knew, it's been settled. My life has already been poured out as an offering. It, it's, it's settled. There's no temptation there because there's nothing to even consider going back to. But as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight of faith. I finished the race. I have remained faithful. He didn't say it was easy. He said it was a fight. It was a race. It was times he felt knocked down. But he says, but I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Then he starts talking about those who forsook him and turned against him. And he starts talking about the coppersmith who did him much harm. And the Lord will judge him for what he's done. And he said, be careful for him. Then in verse 16, he says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May not be counted against them. You see, he's praying for him. He says, I understand what it's like to be brought between a straight place. I know what the disciples did to the Christ when they abandoned him all. And he died alone on the cross. But the Lord stood with me. Say that with me. But the Lord stood with me. I'm alone and nobody, people just don't want to come over anymore. We invite these people over and they don't want to come over anymore because now they're saying we're too religious. But the Lord stood with me. You're not fun anymore. But the Lord stood with me. I don't like the person you've changed into. But the Lord stood with me. You know, I would appreciate it if you just learned to be this or that or the other. But the Lord stood with me. You know what would let this church grow? If you stop harping on sin and purity and holiness and you just start being sick or friendly, this church would grow. But the Lord stood with me. And gave me strength so that I might preach. Preach the good news in its entirety. In its entirety. In its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. He rescued me from certain death. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Let me end with this illustration. 
Great herds of calibou, 400,000 strong, leave one part of northeastern Canada every year and by instinct rush over to the Hudson Bay to their winter grazing grounds. Those people who have, who have seen it say it's one of the awesome spec, spe, spectacular... It's one of the great things you'd ever see in the world. <laughs> one year, though, an unusual thing happened. The huge herd of calibou came to one of the great rivers of Canada and found it swollen over its banks. To swim, in it, to, to swim, it was to court almost certain death. Instead of turning back or trying a more indirect route, the whole herd plunged straight ahead toward their goal. Over 9,000 died. Their bodies were a mute testimony to the inner drive moving the 400,000 toward their goal. They would not allow nothing to keep them from reaching their mark. They would allow nothing to keep them from reaching their mark. I love that movie, Fireproof. He couldn't conquer internet pornography. So he took it outside with a baseball bat and he broke his computer. I will not allow anything to hinder me. Any person, any relationship, any desire to hinder me from the straight and narrow way which leads to eternity. Now, now we, we, we heard the gospel tonight. It's none of this easy hocus pocus. It's a striving. It's a fighting. It's a battle. I've been saved since I was six years old and I'm 45 and a half. And I haven't even begun in some areas of my life to be who I'm supposed to be. My levels of some of my fruit is not what it's supposed to be. Some of the levels of my love and compassion is not where it's supposed to be. And yeah, I spent 18 years in third world countries, but yet my compassion is still not where it's supposed to be. I've not arrived, and I know I'm far from perfection. I know... I need the grace and I need the help of God every day of my life. Because I can mess up tonight or tomorrow and it's over. But by the grace of God, we will stand and we will not fail. We will continue to run this race and we want to finish our course and we're going to fight this fight of faith. But it is a fight. Let's stand up. Amen.